Welcome, friends, to the Embracing Darkness podcast. We are on episode 10, Consent and Sovereignty. I am Izzy Swanson, and I'm here to be your guide to understanding and working with darkness. My work here and in the day-to-day focuses on releasing the energy of trauma from the body. There are many pieces to put together in order for that work to happen safely. And those pieces include learning how to understand how to move energy safely and protect our energy, building a relationship with the earth because it is your most important tool for support and a foundation, and learning how to travel through the darkness both internally and within the other world. So if you'd like to learn more about the work that I do, please visit my website at transformationreiki.com or find me on patreon.com backslash Izzy Swanson. I really just want to dive right in today. So the first thing I want to tell you, the exciting news that I want to share with you is that I have been working in collaboration with Crystal Lee of PowerFem Tarot in New Orleans. You can find her at PowerFemTarot.com or you can also find her under that name on Instagram. She is an amazing tarot reader and she and I have been collaborating to take the lessons from my Embracing Darkness course series, which is a four-part guided series for working specifically with my main god, the Morrigan, and working through your own path of accepting, confronting, embracing darkness in, in order to learn how to channel it. And she took these teachings and she turned them into an Embracing Darkness tarot spread that will help you understand that process. Um, and it's not, she can tailor the tarot reading to your guides and to getting the message specifically from your guides but it's a shadow work spread and it's absolutely amazing so two things that can that are happening from this is that um, crystal is doing the tarot readings and anyone who signs up for my embracing darkness course is going to get a 10 percent discount on her tarot readings and all of that information is listed on my online school, The Guardian School. You just type in The Guardian School and it should come up. If not, send me an email, izzy at transformationreiki.com. I'll make sure that you find it. But I really wanted to get started with that because that specifically pertains to the work that we're doing here. And I'm going to get my own reading from that spread in just a couple of days. So I will have some more to share about it um, the next podcast that I do. So I've been away for a while, maybe two months. I think that's been about as long as it's been since the last podcast that I did on what my darkness taught me. I did not intend to get so sideswiped, but the world has kind of thrown me quite a few lovely opportunities and curveballs lately. I've been teaching a lot. Uh, I teach a six-month Reiki intensive training course as part of my Guardian Method course curriculum, and I've been doing that here in Austin and preparing to teach it in um, Houston the second part of the year. I hosted a Reiki retreat in North Texas, and just a couple of weeks ago, I co-hosted an absolutely amazing reset and restore retreat with my friend and sound therapist, Valerie Bachman. So there was a lot of meditation, but there was also a bit of uh, movement and mantra and a healing sound bath, which was a really amazing thing to do. I've 
given a couple of presentations for Land, Sea, Sky Travels online conferences, a year with our God conference series um, about Kekulin and Ariane Road. And I finished creating the information video for the Felicon trauma release technique, which you can find on my website. And in addition to all those other things, my niece got married and my son is graduating high school next week. So we had prom last week, we have graduation next week and a bunch of family. And then not very long from now, he leaves for basic training because he joined the military. So there's a lot going on. And as I was preparing this, I didn't realize how much I'd been doing. I'd just been thinking about how long it had taken me to be able to sit down pull together my notes and sit in front of you and give you this consent podcast that I've been talking about for months because this is a really important topic. Um, and I just, I guess I've had a lot of really amazing things going on. So I'm back and I'm really ready to get into this work with you. I have some amazing ideas for some upcoming podcasts, but for tonight, we're going to focus on consent and sovereignty consent and sovereignty specifically in energetic healing. So I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Let's take care of a little bit of business first. The first thing I want to talk about is you know, that introduction that I typically do with the tarot cards. I use the Wild Unknown Tarot to give me um, a little insight about how I should be aligning my energy or the things I should be discussing for the Embracing Darkness podcast. But last time I mentioned that I might start introducing song lyrics that inspire me because I listen to a lot of music. Like I tell people all the time, like on social media, there are lots of people who are really good at coming up with the perfect meme. And that's not, I'm not really good at that, but I have a myriad of song lyrics for everything. So I like to try that out because as I was preparing this podcast episode, the song lyrics from a song by one of my favorite bands came to mind. So I'm just going to go with it. The song is called Facing What Consumes You by Hatebreed. And yes, I'm a metalhead and a healer, um, embracing darkness. Remember, these things are not exclusive and they do not make any of us less than what we are good at just because we like things that may not be palatable to other people. So the lyrics are these, or at least this set of lyrics that I want to quote for you. He says, doubt me, hate me, you're the inspiration that I need. It's my life, my body, my pride, and you have no say. So yeah, it sounds pretty forceful, but he's setting his boundaries. He's pretty much telling the people that, that have been putting him down for doing things that he, the way that he's been doing them that you don't get to choose because I'm doing this work. This is my work. You have no say. You don't get to cross these boundaries. I'm going to make my own decisions, which is really a lot of what consent is about, setting these boundaries and making sure that they don't get violated. Or the way we're going to talk about it tonight is ways that we can keep from or be aware of how consent boundaries are violated. Um, so I'm just going to get right down to it. There is a fantastic amount of information and discussion happening right now about consent. It's a movement. Things are changing. We're seeing how this is relevant in literally every single area of our lives. 
And there's just no way that I can begin to cover all of it. And I've realized that there are experts out there that are doing amazing work. What I want to do today is talk to you about the subtlety of consent and sovereignty in energetic healing practices or in the wellness and healing world because there are a lot of serious misunderstandings about where those boundaries are, where consent and sovereignty begin. And there are some pretty serious violations occurring that you might not have realized are violations of sovereignty. And you may be asking yourself um, how a conversation about consent and sovereignty applies to embracing darkness. Well, my friends, the most, the, let, let me see what I'm trying to say. The most prevalent occurrence of re-experiencing trauma, which is triggering, or things that create anxiety or depression, or things that begin the spiral of shame and guilt and cause people to turn inward and retreat from the world because they do not believe they have self-worth. All of that I see most often stemming from a violation of consent and a violation of sovereignty. So it's absolutely the most important thing that we have to consider in every aspect of our work as healers, as mindful people engaging with other people as we go into our own darkness or as we are working to help people with their their darkness or even as we begin to travel in the other world so i have a list of things i want to talk to you about today that um, i know don't cover the entire spectrum of sovereignty but it's important that we talk about it so I want to say that we need to be really mindful. We have to be really mindful of how we are talking and engaging with other people. We have to be very mindful that our experience does not equate the same experience or feelings or beliefs or understanding of other people. And that just because we believe things should be a certain way does not mean that another person believes that. But there's more to it than that. Let me start with, or let me, I keep saying let me start. I'm starting over and over. But what I mean tonight is let me, well, let me begin here with a short, concise definition of what consent is. When you look up the definition of consent, it's a simple sentence that says it is permission for something to happen. And sovereignty is a little bit more in-depth. And tonight I want to share with you Jason Miller's definition of sovereignty, but I'd also like to recommend to you the Book of the Great Queen by Morpheus Ravenna. She has um, a whole chapter on what sovereignty meant in the time of our gods in the Iron Age, but also how that translates into our culture today. And both of them are great resources. In Jason White's um, financial sorcery book, which is a book I've been um, reading lately, he talks about the outward definition of sovereignty being freedom from being ruled by others, freedom from external control, um, and the inward definition of sovereignty being freedom from being ruled by our own self-defeating habitual tendencies and mastering our own will. And both of those things apply here because I'm going to talk to you about ways that sovereignty is violated, which I hope will create a dialogue for you about how you may be violating 
consent or crossing the boundaries of sovereignty. And I hope that we get both of those things in this discussion tonight. So one of the most, I'm going to start what seems to be small, but what is actually pretty big and insidious. One of the most mm, insidious ways that I see and experience the violation of consent in the work that I do and in the world that I live in is by the giving of unsolicited advice. So I work in a world, um, I work partly in a couple of different worlds. I kind of stand at the intersection of a couple of different paths of work, one of them being social justice, the other being um, pagan spiritual work, and the one that pays my bills being wellness. And I am a Reiki master and a trauma specialist. And so typically in the world, at least in the Western world, working in that field comes with um, working with a lot of people who I like to call um, the Love and Light Brigade. Now, I'm not here to say negative things about Love and Light. We've already covered the we've already covered the bases of needing darkness and needing light, and how important both of those things are to balance and healing. So, please don't take that the wrong way. But I'm here in this podcast to bring the message of darkness and show you how important it is to our healing and our understanding of healing each other and the world. If you'd like to hear more about my thoughts and my teachings on that balance, I think I covered it in the first podcast, um, what I mean by darkness. But in this world, in the Western esoteric world, so to speak, there's a lot of this idea or a lot of people who live in the world of love and light who don't want to talk about darkness, um, who don't want to, or who are not working with the deeper issues because they don't want to feel uncomfortable or it's too intense or because there's some type of belief that there's something wrong or that the word darkness means something destructive, which I don't think that it does, at least not in the context that I'm using it in. One of the side effects of that is this constant... I need to make sure that other people are seeing what knowledge you have in love and light. A lot of people go through a lot of work to get to a healed and safe and balanced place. And so they immediately begin to feel like because they did it, that their way is the best way to do it. And they need to make sure that they give that information to anybody else who might be struggling with something, even if it's not similar to what they're struggling with. Also, a lot that I see, well, let me stop there with that because the next part I'll discuss in the next topic or with the next um, bullet point. What I see a lot, and the example I'm going to give is going to be about um, chronic illness. It's the easiest one that I see, but I see it in a lot of different places, is that especially in social media, but it has happened in other places. I see it happen in group settings. I see it happen all over the place. Um, even clients will give me uh, unsolicited advice about my own health issues when I share some information with them sometimes because I have some experience because I have an autoimmune disorder. When you start to talk about this, typically what happens when you, like one of the reasons I don't talk about my health 
is because people always have something to tell me to do to make it better. Like if I'm having um, an episode or a flare, as I like to call them, if I post about it at all, there's typically somebody right there in the moment with some kind of information they want to give me about research that I should be doing or work that I should be doing or ways to change my diet um, to make things better. And even if I mention something like if I'm in a group setting, because I'm often in a group setting leading groups, if I mention authentically that I don't feel well, I've had experiences where people will begin to immediately just give me a bunch of advice on their healing modality. I have to tell you, and this is not just my experience, I'm using myself as an example here, that this is absolutely the most frustrating and demoralizing thing that you can do to anybody who has a chronic illness, a mental illness, who struggles with addiction, who is working through something that is intense and difficult, especially depression, anxiety, um, fibromyalgia, nerve pain, things of this nature, Hashimoto's, that disease manifests differently for every single person that has it. It is not the same. So typically what, what, this, what people will do is they'll start telling you, well, you probably have leaky gut and they'll start diagnosing you or they, they start just piling on information for you, which in one way is just too much information. Like you have no idea how overwhelming that can be. But here's the other thing that it does. When you post that you're not feeling well or that you're having a bad day and you have not asked for help or advice and someone steps in and starts giving you information, you may not realize this, but what that does is immediately say, all of your experience living with this chronic illness is invalid. Like you don't know what you're talking about. You don't, like you, all the work that you've done in that moment becomes negated and completely irrelevant. I promise you that people with chronic illness, people who are suffering with mental illness, people who have PTSD, people who are dealing with addiction, those who are in recovery and doing the work have been doing the work. In that moment, you are pretty much saying that all that they know about their body and their disease, that they may not even be sharing all of the details with about it with you, is invalid. You're pretty much saying all that you've done doesn't matter. I know that you may not think that that's what you're doing, but what it's doing is making the person who's having the experience feel like there's something wrong with them, that they're not doing good enough, that they experience some type of shame or grief because somebody else got better and they didn't. They didn't ask you for information and you gave it to them anyway. And another thing that that does is, um, I lost my train of thought because I was looking down at my notes, but you didn't, they didn't ask for information and you gave it to them anyway. And I forgot what I was going to say there. And I'm going to keep going. Even though I know I'm on the podcast and I'm looking at my notes, I'll come back to that because that happens sometimes. I'll keep going and then I'll come back to it. So I'll, I'll highlight right here and hopefully you guys love me enough to keep going with me after that little stutter. But um, what I was saying a moment ago is that it makes a person feel like they're not doing good enough, that 
that all the work that they've done means nothing. And this begins an entire process of thoughts. And what people do then is they isolate. They don't feel safe. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to share with you because every time that they do share about it, somebody is going to make them feel like they didn't do enough research or they haven't been working hard enough to make this stop. One of the ways that this is the most damaging are, is when people say, well, you know, alternative health and healing modalities are the best route to go and the medicines that we take in this day and age are bad for us. Or if you just got outside more or if you just took a walk or if you exercised more or if you ate a certain diet or if you had your allergies tested, you wouldn't feel this way. And this continues this, this perpetuation of not good enough in someone's head. Believe me, friends, someone with a chronic illness has really done a lot of work, and nobody understands that more than they do. Someone with a chronic illness is spending a lot of time in a doctor's office, reading a lot of books, and doing a lot of work. The other component to this is there's a lot of information they may not be sharing with you. People with nerve pain are not usually going into detail about that nerve pain. You may not know that somebody with food allergies doesn't have leaky gut. They have nerve pain. We can't make assumptions. So my best thought here is not to provide advice or information without someone asking for help. And in that case, when you do provide something that someone has asked for, remember that it's just your experience that even though you may be an expert or may not be an expert and have a lot of knowledge, you can still say, this has been my experience. I'm happy to share with you if you'd like to know more about it. Or please send me a message. Or as an expert in this field, I've seen results with this type of treatment. Remember that everybody's experience is unique and individual. It is a violation of consent. You are trying to control someone's sovereignty when you do things like this. So another thing that I see a whole, whole lot in the wellness world and in the love and light world, in the Reiki world, are people who send energy without permission. And this happens in so many different ways. But, you know, the most common is I will send Reiki to you without anybody asking for it. Um, this is a big, big no-no. There are a lot of different reasons behind this. First of all, you cannot invest your energy in another person's energy or in their well-being unless they've given you permission to do it. One of the things that I feel like we need to be talking about as healers is that just because we have the ability to provide healing does not mean that it's our responsibility to provide healing to every 
one. That's not healthy for you as a healer or as somebody who is a wellness practitioner or an energetic practitioner because you're going to drain yourself, especially if you're not aware of how to create a foundation, maintain a foundation, and shield it and keep yourself safe, especially if you don't have your own boundaries about your own health and well-being. But that's also not okay because everyone is having their own personal experience. No matter how much we are aware of what would be beneficial to another person, we cannot do that work for them. We cannot give somebody something unless they have asked for it. And this can be really painful, I know, especially if you're a parent or if you have a loved one who has been struggling with addiction or has a mental health struggle, it can be really, really painful to not get involved in that. We want to help people. I truly understand that. And I do teach ways for us to be able to provide help without violating boundaries and consent. That's a little bit too much for me to go into tonight on the podcast, but know that there are ways to do that. And I'm happy to share more about that if you'd like to send me an email or if you'd like to take some of the classes that I provide on energetic safety. But please do not be giving energy to people without their permission. I've seen this happen in a number of ways. For example, a friend telling me that they're going to send me energy on my trip, going on a spiritual pilgrimage full of sorcerers and magicians who have wards and boundaries. Do not send energy to people without their permission. You have no idea what that person has up for protection or whether or not they have something, nothing up for protection. And then you're going to get enmeshed and involved in their energy without being able to separate yourself from it. You're not, we must be aware of the consequences of doing that without permission. You could really hurt yourself because somebody else's words, protections, or guardians could react to a perceived threat because something was sent towards a person without them giving permission for it. Other ways that I have seen this, especially with energy practitioners, is that people will perceive that something is out of balance in another person, even if it's not in their space, and go ahead and correct what that energy is because they know that they can and because they perceive it's in balance. So it automatically they go and they fix it without even realizing what else is involved in that. I have seen many times healers come to me because I have something attached to them because somewhere else in a distance situation where somebody wasn't even there with them or somebody they didn't even know was in out of balance some way and they felt like it was their responsibility to make it better. I've seen plenty of energetic healers sick or out of balance because they did something like that. You have to be more mindful. The other part of it is responsibility. We cannot be responsible for everything. It's not our job. Our job is not to change things for other people and heal them. Our job is to guide them, to help them get safe and stable and balanced and help them do the work for themselves. It takes participation. If somebody is not ready to do that work, we cannot make them do that work. No matter what, we have to let them have their sovereignty and make their own decisions. 
Another way that I have seen this, and this happens a lot in social media, I do participate a lot in social media because I have friends in all different places all around the world. And also I, I run a couple of businesses and I have a nonprofit. And in today's world, in order to communicate for those types of things, you have to have a social media presence. Um, so I spend a lot of time on social media and in some of those spaces people who don't even know you will randomly start sending you love and light and talking about all the energy that you need and the healing that you need my first question when somebody does that I'm going to say did I ask you for that if I didn't then I don't receive it because I didn't ask for it it's not something I need it also insinuates that you see something wrong with what I'm doing or the work that I'm doing like there's some reason why my energy needed you to help me we can't do that we cannot make an assumption because what we're doing again back to what I was talking about with unsolicited advice is making someone feel like they did something wrong not only that you're making assumptions about people we can never do that you're crossing boundaries at that point so there are a lot of ways that this happens, and I'm sure I could give you more examples, but those are the ones that I'm going to give you today. There are a couple of other ways that sovereignty and consent are violated, especially in energetic work and in the spiritual community and the wellness community, because I am including the spiritual community in this as well. How many of us have grandmas who pray for us and pray for us and people who pray for us even when we didn't ask for those prayers? Now, I'm not saying we should never be grateful for granny's prayers. I'm just saying how many people are doing that when we're not necessarily asking for it. Think of all the people who may be praying for my soul because I'm talking about darkness. I definitely don't need that, and I definitely don't think I'm doing something that's destructive. So those prayers are not necessarily helpful and couldn't not be in my best interest despite what other people are thinking. Some of the other things that I see are people who are making decisions for me, making decisions about my time. Now, this is really subtle. Um, it's, and remember that a lot of the things that I'm talking about, people have the best interests of other people at heart. They have good intentions. A lot of people are not out to cross boundaries and violate consent, which is why I'm talking about it, because we just need to be more mindful of it, because there's a lot of arguments that are happening, happening over establishing these boundaries. I know that your heart is in the right place, or that people's heart is in the right place, but I promise you'll get better results and you'll be able to be more helpful to people when you're more mindful of these subtle things. So talking about things about like making decisions for me, um, when people message me about appointments, and this is not just for me, I, I keep using myself as an example, but I, I want to say that these are things that I see in other places. Um, it's easier for me to give examples from this place today but I will keep talking. When people make decisions such as, well, um, if that doesn't work for you, then I'll choose something else, or I'll do something else, or I didn't want to bother you, or this, or that, like, like, oh, well, that doesn't seem to work for you, I'll do something different, as far as scheduling or time goes. 
I promise you, I am aware of what works for me and what doesn't work for me. I don't need you to decide for me what does work and what doesn't work. If I say this is what I can do, then you can say, okay, that works for me or it doesn't. A lot of people try to make decisions about what you can and cannot handle based on their own perception of what they think that you're doing with your time. This is another thing that happens um, when you start, when, when people make decisions about what you can and cannot do and what you can and cannot handle based on things that you post about whether or not you feel good or you don't feel good or you're doing this today or you're not doing this today. You have to let people make those decisions for themselves. You have to let people decide whether or not they have time to do something or they don't have time to do something. You have to give people the opportunity to say yes or no to something because consent isn't just about no, it's also about yes. So give people the opportunity to say yes if they want to. Let them make that decision. Don't make the decision for them in your mind. Um, one of the ways I also see this with people who are energetically sensitive, one of the things that I see is that they'll isolate themselves and they will stay away from people because they don't always want to be involved or participate in things based on their energy levels. So people will, um, either not invite them to things and make them feel bad and leave them out or people will say things like a good friend would have more time or if you were paying more attention or if you committed to doing this and that out in public or um, you know people you love will take the time to do certain things for you that's also kind of a violation of consent because you're expecting something from people without them being able to make their own decisions. You've already made their decisions for them. You have no idea why they're not there. You haven't given them an opportunity to tell you. Maybe they don't want to tell you. That's also not for us to decide. If someone isn't forthcoming with details, fine. That's where they're at. Just give them room and say, well, if you do want to talk, I'm here. Or if you want to give me more details, I'm available, but I honor your choice. We have to let people make their own decisions. And we have to stop making people feel bad when they don't do the things we think they should do. Not everybody needs to interact in that way to have strong, safe friendships. Let people make those decisions. Another place where people have made decisions for me, and this is something that happened recently, and the people who did it, I absolutely love them, and I'm not trying to say anything bad, but they made decisions on their own about what I needed them to do for me. Um, and I see this a lot in the patriarchal dynamic of what um, the masculine thinks that the feminine means. And I'm trying to be inclusive with my language as well, remembering that um, gender is a spectrum. But thinking of this in the patriarchal context, I see this a lot because people think they need to defend some of us and they make decisions for us. I recently was on a post, on a social media post, where somebody had started talking about something 
that I was just interested in learning more about. So I asked for some source material and they began to really belittle me and uh, talk to me like I didn't know what I was talking about um, and trying to educate me when all I had asked for was a book to read which is another violation of consent back to unsolicited advice. And so when I shared it with my friends, a couple of my friends decided to go and find that person and begin to argue on my behalf and create more controversy and more fighting. And they did this without even asking me because in my mind, I was like, okay, this person that did this to me is not okay, but I'm not going to engage anymore because I'm not going to put my energy into that and I'd really like it to just go away. And everyone else who made the decision to go and keep fighting with this person kept it going and kept me involved in something that I really wanted to be done with and had already taken care of myself. So in that way, they violated my consent because I did not want them to do that. Now, we need to think about this in many different ways. This also is really important when we're talking about trauma and abuse victims and reasons why people leave unhealthy communities. Why don't people talk more about what happened to them? Why don't they report it? Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? We can't make that decision for them because people have really valid reasons for not sharing things sometimes. And we don't know what those reasons are. In the case that I gave you as an example just now, it was simple. I just wanted it to be done. But in other situations, People are not sharing because they feel like they're protecting somebody, because they have a belief that if they don't keep it to themselves, something worse could happen, because they have different evidences to show them that if they do talk about it, they're not going to be treated with fairness. People have a lot of different reasons for not talking about things. We can't make them talk about things. And when they do talk about it, we can't decide that we need to be their enforcer because there may be other people involved that they are also trying to keep safe. We don't know what those reasons are. Don't go running into battle unless that person has asked you to run into battle for them because you don't know the consequences and you don't know what you could be doing for them. It could be that somebody is just really anxious about attention. If they're really anxious about attention, let's not put them on the spot. Let's not put them in the spotlight. I learned this one. I didn't always know this one. I learned this one through my own work with my students. One thing that I learned is that it makes people really uncomfortable when you stop and check them in front of everybody else. That's not okay and that's not a healthy way to make sure that people are okay. We have to let people make their own decisions. And another way that I see this are, um, and this one's really in like, this is ingrained in a lot of us. People who are apologizing a lot. This one really applies to me because for a long time, I've apologized for every single thing, like literally everything that I said and did. And when I finally broke that habit, I started noticing that I had one or two friends who literally apologized for everything. Um, when they were, when they're, car broke down. They apologized because they needed they needed to stay in my office 
And that was not their fault. I stayed with them. I could say, I can't stay. I need to go and make my own decision. People who apologize for just saying something that they think you might perceive wrong. People who apologize for saying just saying anything. There are many different reasons, but people who are constantly apologizing, I know that people are not trying to violate consent with this, but what they are doing is constantly putting others in the position to have to manage that, that energy and what they feel bad for. And I don't mean this in any negative way on the person who is apologizing a lot because there's typically a reason that they're doing it. But what I do want to highlight is that we need to be mindful of what we make other people responsible for. When we are constantly saying that, we are putting the burden on other people to manage how we feel. And that may not be something that that person is prepared to do. Which leads me also to the need to vent and the need to talk about intense things. I am really liking the movement that I'm seeing in which people are starting to say, I'm having a hard experience and I need to talk. Do you have time to talk to me? Do you have the bandwidth to talk to me? And then you're giving the person the opportunity once again to make their own decisions and you're giving them the opportunity to be sovereign and whether or not that's something they want to engage with instead of just giving it all to them without asking about it or without thinking about the effect that you might have on them. Because somebody might already be in such an intense place that they're not able to navigate what's happening to you. Not because they don't care, but because it's bringing up or they are having their own experiences that are too intense for them. These are all very, very subtle ways that consent is being violated. Remember, and I'll say it again, that most people have the best intentions and are not trying to cause harm, but there are some people who are just willfully stomping all over other people's consent. When somebody asks a question in a group, that also does not mean that we get to violate their consent by telling them what is wrong with what they're doing in such a way that we shame them for what they're doing or acting as though we know better than them. What we can do is say, this is my experience or here are some good resources for you. Because once again, what you're doing when you're violating consent in that way is shaming somebody and making them feel or have to defend themselves and their self-worth and making them feel unworthy. So we need to be more mindful. Just because we have more information or experience does not mean that we force it on another person or make them feel bad because they didn't have it. We all had to start somewhere. Just because you started learning something when you were younger does not mean that a person who started later in life does not have the opportunity to learn and grow. I promise you, you're driving people away this way. It's not safe. It's not healthy, and you could be causing someone to re-experience negative emotions or trauma that they have been dealing with, and we don't know that because that is not always the first thing that people are sharing with us. We need to be more mindful about how we communicate. 
I say this as a segue into talking about this in the world of practitioners. All of us have probably had some pretty intense experiences with doctors who do not listen to what we say is wrong with our body, who give us information that is incorrect because they made assumptions about what we needed or didn't need. But this is also something that happens in the wellness world because somebody has done a lot of work on their own to get where they are and so they have all the information and their way is the only way. They may not even mean to do it, but this is again why I keep saying we have to be mindful. We have to be more conscious about how we engage. This is really, really important when we are working with a client or a patient who has come to us with severe illness, addiction, PTSD, uh, the trauma signature in their body, it's very, very important to create an environment in which the patient or client gets to say yes or no to what you suggest and the process that you want to provide for them. So, there's a, there's a lot that happens with this. We need to make sure that we're in a position where we're saying, this is what I think is good, or these are some suggestions I have for you, or these are some things that I perceive, and how do you feel about that? Do you think that this makes sense to you? Would you like to do this process that I have given you information about? They get to make the decision. This is very important because it makes them feel safe. It establishes a sense of trust between the patient and the practitioner. And not only that, it validates their own feelings about what they're experiencing. What it does also for the practitioner is as they are doing what they need to do and making their own decisions, it helps you understand where you can help them or catch when something's unsafe and going off track and help them come back into a place of balance. So it works twofold. We have to be aware of this and we have to let our clients and our patients and our students have the sovereignty to make their own decisions. It's not a my way or the highway experience no matter what, they always have the right to say yes or say no. This is one of the things that I do with the Phalacon trauma release technique. Part of that technique is soul retrieval. It is straight out psychopump soul retrieval work. There's a whole lot of methodology and safety mechanisms in place, and then there's soul retrieval. The reason why I do things the way that I do in that technique is to allow the patient to say yes or no at every single step of what they visualize or what they feel or what they experience. I don't find that the way that shamanic core shamanism and shamanic practice is teaching us today is necessarily the safest way to be doing soul retrieval, especially when we're talking about it in perspective to trauma and PTSD. In ancient times and from the cultures in which shamanic work or medicine work was being done, soul work and soul retrieval was something much different than it is today. Today, it is a lot about trauma and PTSD. In another time, it was about actual spiritual warfare. Things are much different. We need to, when we're engaging with the energy of trauma, 
and soul loss and anxiety and depression and addiction and mental health disorders, every one of those situations and more, we need to be giving the person the opportunity to say, that makes me uncomfortable or I feel safe with that. Yes, I say, I understand what you're saying. No, I don't like what you're saying, what, that you're saying what you're saying. That doesn't make sense to me. Oh, wow, that makes sense to me. They get to make that decision. And you, as the practitioner or the healer or the provider or the person being of service, has to make sure that you in that moment are like, okay, what can we do to help you feel safe? What do you need? Because it's not about you and it's not about what you have to offer and it's not about the information that you think you can provide and it's not about the decisions you think you can make for somebody and it's not about the energy that you know that you're good at, that you know can make a change because it's not about you. It's about that person. We are in a role, those of us who are being of service or all of us who are in the position to engage with other people or have some measure of feeling like we have something to offer to the world, we are in a role of being of service, which means that our number one priority is safety. We cannot violate that safety by violating consent, by violating somebody's bodily autonomy and sovereignty. We have to be okay when somebody doesn't want to do things the way that we think they should do them. We have to be okay when someone wants to do something different and remember that it's not about us. That is not something we need to take on. Another place, I have one more for you. I didn't realize that I had so much to say about sovereignty and consent, but I do. Another place that this is really important is with our gods. I am of the spiritual discipline that my gods are. Uh, animistic and that they have agency and that they make their own decisions and they have their own agenda just like we do. I am not comfortable with the idea that my God will tell me everything that I need to do down to the letter and down to the T and that I don't get a choice. Don't believe that that's the way that it works. We were created free with free will if we want to speak about monotheistic belief patterns, even though that's not the belief system that I come from. But we have always, in every step of the process, free will. You do not have to do something that your gods are telling you you have to do. If you feel like it's not something you're ready for, or if you feel like it's not safe, or if you feel like it could cause harm, or if you don't fully understand it, you can say that. You get to choose. And here's what I'll say to you. That does not make you wrong or bad or worthy of punishment. My perspective is that if your gods are asking you to do things that you do not feel okay with, they may not necessarily be. Let me rephrase that. The way that I see it is that my God would not ever ask me to do something that wasn't in my highest interest for my best good, that wasn't something that made me a better person and that was helpful for me. And even knowing that, she can ask me things and I can still say, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. You have the 
right to say yes or no on all levels, not just this physical world, not just as an individual, but in the other world as well. You get to make your own decisions. Now, there is a time and a place, and I'm not going to get into this too much because we haven't gotten yet into other world darkness and other world work, but there is a time and a place where those, there are those who have sworn oaths and made promises to gods that are their choice that they have gotten to the place where they have made decisions about what decisions and things that they must carry out on behalf of their gods. This is not something to be taken lightly. And again, not something I'm going to go into great detail about tonight. But there are those who have made the choice to give their will to something different after making major decisions and going through a long process to get to that place. But in that process, they gave consent and made those decisions on their own. We can never presume to know what that is or what that isn't. So we cannot make assumptions about that and we cannot make decisions and judgments based on that. We have to let people make their own decisions, whether we approve of it or not. And that, I believe, is all that I have to share with you about my thoughts, at least for tonight on consent and sovereignty. It is very subtle. It is in the fabric of everything in existence around us. And I put forth to you to be, to be more aware of it and to be more mindful of it, to accept no as an answer and to know it's not personal. You have no idea what may be going on in a person's world. So I'm going to switch gears here and I'm going to bring things, I'm going to wind things down. One of the things that I do here on the Embracing Darkness podcast is I provide this podcast to my um, patrons as an early access reward and they have opportunity to submit questions to the podcast. And I haven't had any questions for a while, which I'm hoping means that I'm being clear and that I'm covering things that people want to hear. But I did get a question recently. Um, that I'd like to cover, and hopefully I do well with this. I had one of my patrons ask me uh, about after going through a significant amount of trauma or even putting yourself through um, patterns and coping strategies and living with beliefs that added to your own trauma, how do you learn to trust yourself again? And this is a very good question because trust is shattered when trauma occurs to us. And so we learn through our trauma not to be able to, we learn not to trust other people and that we can't trust ourselves. And what I would say to you is to remember that we cannot do this all at one time. We cannot look at the whole picture of who we are and wish that we, and want to feel better or have a desire to get healed and better and look at the whole picture of everything that happened to us and try to figure it all out at one time. We have to break it down and do things one step at a time, one piece at a time, and focus on that piece one step 
at a time. When you try to focus on all of it at one time, it creates anxiety. It's too much. It's overwhelming. Your body will re-experience. Re-experience is a word for triggering. Your body will re-experience and then go into the fight or flight response and shut all of your cognitive function down one thing at a time. That doesn't necessarily tell you how to trust yourself, but I hope that it gives you some explanation of how to start. And also what I want to say with that is to start small. Start by looking at what you are doing right now. For example, what did you do today to take care of yourself? Did you eat? Did you take a shower? Did you brush your teeth? Did you read a book or study? You did something today that showed you that you are taking care of yourself. Even if it doesn't feel like you're doing all the things that you need to do, you did something. Mark that down. Be aware of that. Trust yourself because what you're doing every time you take a little step to do something to take care of yourself is showing yourself, okay, I'm willing to take care of you. That shows the inner you to, that you're willing to do what you need to do and that begins to build a relationship of trust. Other ways are thinking about like, are you going to see a therapist? Are you doing the work the therapist is providing for you to do outside of your sessions? Did you schedule an appointment for some type of self-care? The very act of doing so is a way of showing yourself that you are willing to take care of yourself. That begins to build trust. One little step at a time. Everything, every time that you catch yourself doing something that is good for you, that is a moment to say, look, I'm doing something to take care of myself. That little piece will show the rest of you, look, this person is willing to do what we need right now. Another way that you can learn how to trust yourself is to listen to yourself. What is it that you truly want in this moment? What is it that your heart truly needs in this moment? Short of being something destructive, let your heart get that the best way that you know how to give it. One of the ways that my God has taught me how to trust myself was to start measuring my successes instead of my failures. As a business owner, uh, I've had to, for the first few years, fight through a lot of my fears of not being worthy that came from my trauma and my abuse in childhood. And every time that I looked at my to-do list and I was not able to finish it, I felt like I was failing. Every time that I didn't get something accomplished or something didn't work out, I felt like I was failing. And my goddess came to me and told me to start measuring my successes instead of my failures. That literally turned into a list of every day looking at what did I accomplish today instead of what I didn't accomplish. Looking at all the things that I did do today versus what I didn't do today. And even on days when I have consciously decided I'm not doing anything, that's a thing I did that taught myself that I was willing to take care of myself. So start looking at what you did do rather than what you didn't do. Actually make a list of four or five things and make them little things and focus on today. Not the whole pattern of everything you're trying to accomplish all at one time, but one little thing or five little things like I checked all my email today 
the dishes in the sink are done. I finished writing this podcast today. I'm going to put that on my list of successes today. Even though I stumbled over my words, I overall made a successful podcast. It will go on my list. So those are little things that you can do. Other little things that you can do to teach yourself how to trust yourself is to stop. Stop and take a break. Actual rest. There is an art and a practice to doing absolutely nothing. And your body wants that. We live in a world right now and in a culture that never, ever, ever stops. Your body needs you to stop. It cannot regenerate and repair itself if you do not give it that opportunity. When you do stop and let it rest, you're teaching yourself that you're willing to do what it takes to take care of yourself, which will then build trust. So those are hopefully some little suggestions that help. And again, if you have any thoughts or questions about that, I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you want me to expand a little more, please let me know. And what I want to do right now is move on to my entrepreneur shout out section. And tonight I just have one for you. I do have a few supporters, but some of them are I'm waiting on some information or they're in transition with their work. So the entrepreneur that I want to share with you tonight is Debbie Huggins Jones. She is new to the Austin area. She is a massage therapist and she focuses on working with chronic pain and palliative massage. And she calls her um, business Feather and Stone Healing Arts. You can find her under that name on Facebook. The best way to contact her right now is either through Facebook at Feather and Stone Healing Arts or Debbie Huggins LMT at gmail.com. So that's D E B B I E Huggins, H U G G I N S. LMT at gmail.com. When I sprained my ankle, Debbie did a lot of work for me, especially that, was it the weekend before or after I came back from Ireland? Because I sprained my ankle and hiked a mountain in Ireland. Um, but she did a lot of work for me to help me keep my ankle moving until I could get to my physical therapy appointments. I highly, highly recommend her. Um, the next thing that I want to cover for you, oh, let me say this as well. If you're interested in being given a spotlight in the entrepreneur section of the Embracing Darkness podcast, you can sign up for the rewards level, the entrepreneur shout out rewards level at patreon.com backslash Izzy Swanson. I really, really, really want to promote pagan businesses or wellness practitioners um, in my area or across the country, um, those who are of service to spiritual community or the pagan community and even interfaith work, I'm happy to promote that. So please contact me if you think that you have something that I could include on this podcast, which will lead me into the next and last segment of our podcast. Um, this is the causes that we support here. This month or maybe a month ago because it has been a couple months and I've been putting this together for a couple of months. I had a patron patron reach out to me and ask me if I would specifically highlight um, some resources for a chronic illness that they're dealing with that is rare and unknown um, and that it causes a lot of um, intense pain and also isolation and withdrawal and um, 
significant fatigue. And this illness that they asked me to speak about is the myalgic encephalomyelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome. This is different than what we know of as just chronic fatigue syndrome or those of us who have Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism. This is the type of overwhelming fatigue that is not improved by rest and actually gets worse after activity, um, even if it's just physical, and it actually will cause physical symptoms in the body. Um, there is a an organization worldwide that can be found in different countries with the different like .ie, .ca, different countries. But in um, in America, it is meaction.net or meaction.org. It is a global grassroots network for people with myalgic encephalomyelitis and chronic fatigue syndrome. They are providing lists of patients to create networks and caregivers and clinicians, researchers and allies. They are also providing tools and they have options to support them by purchasing items from their store or donating to their cause. I think it's really important to highlight chronic illness personally as somebody who has a chronic illness and also because it is such an insidious I don't like the word insidious. It's a very intense thing to live with because it's an invisible disease that people don't see on the outside. Um, and it's hard to explain what that kind of pain is like and what those experiences are like because there's not anything that you can show to people. So it's really important that we're aware of what that is like for other people. And I'm happy to highlight things like this as well. So if you have a cause that you'd like me to support that I have not yet supported on the podcast, please send me an email at izzy at transformationreiki.com. If you have questions or thoughts or feedback or you'd like to provide some information to me, that's the best way to get a hold of me. It takes me a few days to respond because I do have a client-based practice and I am doing things like writing books and meditations and creating podcasts and teaching classes. So I will get back to you as soon as I can. Um, and on that note, the best place to find me is on my website at transformationreiki.com. Everything that I do has a home on that website. Everything, every single thing that I do, everything leads back to it. And that's the best place to find me and to get a hold of me. So thank you, my friends, for listening and for joining me on tonight's episode of Embracing Darkness.